0: Welcome to Pull Back! I'm Kyla Hewson and I'm here with Kristen Pugh. Hello! Each episode we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption and then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. This week we... <laughs> we're reacting to the Seaspiracy video, uh, the, the Netflix documentary that uh, has come out and is, is creating a stir in the online world. It was Kristen's idea to do a reaction to this, and I watched it, and it was upsetting for me for a lot of reasons. I'm excited to talk about it. I feel like watching the watching the film was the challenge for this week. Uh, oh, oh, and we're here with Robbie. Sorry, Robbie. No worries. I was like, when am I gonna get that introduction? Uh, <laughs> we're professionals.
1: But yeah, I think watching the film was the biggest challenge of the week.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. So we are here with uh, with our friend uh, Robert Miller, who has joined us on a few of our previous episodes. And he watched this film like a champ. And we're going to talk about it now, I guess. Ooh. Watch this film <laughs> on at
1: least 1.25 times speed with a Red Bull, because that's what it took.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Oh. My, I
2: watched it because... Um, my friend and I have been doing, she lives in the same building as me. So she's been like my one social contact and we've been doing dinners uh, a couple times a week. And she was like, hey, do you want to watch this fish documentary? And I was like, uh, you're going to hate me. I'm going to just talk the entire time. And I sure did.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> We're still friends. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> My boyfriend came in. Ha- I was like 30 minutes into the film, and I was like, Oh no, you can't watch. He's like, he's already vegan and he doesn't like watching, obviously, graphic depictions of violence against animals. But I was like, I put this off to the very last minute, and I was like, I can't stop watching it. So I guess you're just going to have to join me for this. Sorry, I wasn't expecting you home just now. And I talked the whole time once he joined me. So I feel you. Yeah, it's
1: I'm in a similar boat to him because it's like it. I have a very weird relationship with these kinds of movies because what made me go vegan was watching Earthlings. Uh, I didn't even make it through the first like 30 minutes and I just like went home, threw out all of the meat in my fridge and like have not purchased any ever since. And so I have a deep loathing for these movies because I just they're so gross and so awful and upset me so much. Uh, But I am also just like everyone should watch these movies, but just like one of them. (laughs) You don't have to watch more than
2: one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I went like vegetarian for a while back in high school after watching Fast Food Nation, I think is what it was. But I've never seen Earthlings. It sounds good, I guess. That's quite the review from Robbie. (laughs) Yeah,
1: like for context, I was one of those people who unironically would tell vegans that for every animal they didn't eat, I would eat three. Like that is oh. an actual quote from my mouth as a oh, shithead teenager. That
2: is a very <laughs> Albertan thing to say. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and uh, yeah, then I watched the first 20 minutes of Earthlings threw out all of the meat in my fridge and I've become that obnoxious vegan who gets routinely invited onto podcasts to talk about veganism ever since. <laughs>
2: Uh, maybe now that we're like five minutes into this, maybe we should explain what Seaspiracy is for people that haven't
0: seen it. Hey, that's what I was just about to say. <laughs> oh,
2: okay, I'm sorry. No. I'll unstep on you. Not at all. Continue. No,
0: please. I, do you want to give us a rundown of the movie, Kristen? Like a Like a blow-by-blow of the plot?
2: Oh, I don't know if I want to give a blow-by-blow of the plot. I don't think I have that level of detail, but it is a movie that is, it's basically this this british guy that is like i was doing beach cleanups and finding plastic on the ocean and i wanted to find out what the problem was and so then he goes and looks at whaling and then he's like wait a second overfishing's a problem and then that becomes the purpose of the movie i don't know that i sold
0: this very well but it's about overfishing <laughs> i feel like you you gave it you gave it a fair de- description there because it was wild to me that Uh, he's he's vegan, like uh, he's done other documentaries before. And it's it's, it's wild to me that he framed this whole documentary, like, I'm just learning all of these things for the first time. And I was like, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I actually found that super obnoxious. It was just very contrived and silly, as far as I was concerned. And I'll, I'll maybe talk about this more when we actually get into the the subject matter of the film. But like, I think it actually kind of hurt a lot of its messaging. Because it yeah, allows you to have yeah. this, like, very wandering thing instead of focusing in on the real issues. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, I did think it it did a pretty good job in that it covered, like, if you were going to do a short documentary that covered all of the big themes about how, like, the fishing industry is fucked, it did at some point draw on most of the things that are fucked about fishing. So, like, overfishing, how fucked aquaculture is, you know, like... Bottom trawling. Yeah, like the problem of illegal fishing, the problem of forced labor, like that stuff all did get in there. The fishing expert community is very pissed off about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and they did get some things wrong, and they were mean to conservation NGOs in a way that I didn't think was fair. Like, there are problems with this movie, but I think if you're like um, a person that has never been exposed to... The Problems of Overfishing. This documentary is a good one, although I do think you could just listen to our two-parter on seafood and it does a better job. Yeah,
0: (laughs) we sure do. (laughs) And we have no budget, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So
1: do we want to kind of like go through it chronologically?
0: I mean, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just, uh, to bounce off what Kristen was saying, there was this one part where Like, he's – he's I know we're going to get to it eventually, but just when you were saying, oh, he was being unnecessarily mean to sea conservation, like, NGOs or whatever, there was one where he – I can't even remember which organization it was, but he kept just going back to this one blog post on their website that probably has, like – tons and tons and tons of content and being like, look, you guys don't say that not eating fish is a solution. You say it right here with this one word on this one blog post. And he just like shows that like three or four times in the episode or in the documentary. And I was like, what are you? No, this feels petty. Well, it's also like he's interviewing a like a single use plastics charity. Like, yep. what the <laughs> fuck
2: does he expect? <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're not a fishing charity. but. And it turns out his um, the stat on plastic and like f- um, the discarded uh, fishing material, which he claims is like half of um, ocean plastic, it's from like
0: decades ago and not accurate to the yeah. plastic
2: in the ocean today. So
0: okay, well that was that was the tangent that I wanted to get out before we got too far away from that. <laughs> yeah, Robbie, you had a structure. So <laughs>
2: yeah, um, well, like one of the
1: things that actually like really set me off on the wrong foot for this movie. Um, was just like the opening where it's like set up as this like this very dangerous documentary where he's going to be going and like putting his life at risk and you have all of these just like random people who are exploited for their sound bites after being exploited for their labor and i would kind of like flag that as like okay is this actually going to be like gonzo war journalism style documentary because that was not the vibe that i'd seen from reviews or is this just like an extremely shitty way to open the documentary that is completely disjointed (laughs) from what they do. And sure enough, like the only time that he ever puts himself in any danger is like accompanying the sea shepherds with a Liberian military escort.
2: Well, he was also in Thailand doing the extremely irresponsible interview of those. um, I'm not sure. I wasn't clear on whether they were currently people in forced labor situations or formerly.
1: I think there were people who had gotten out
2: yeah so I don't know either it was extremely contrived situation or it was extremely irresponsible from his perspective. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, I found his investigative journalism style very obnoxious as well. I'm like you're not asking people questions to get answers, you're asking people questions to get reactions he wasn't trying to actually get information out of anybody he was like why don't we all just go vegan and people were like well i i that's a stupid question i, I that's not going yeah it's to like get.
2: And half of them were like i don't disagree with you but i'm a plastics campaigner like <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: or or he, when he was asking uh when he snuck into the what the um oh what's it called so like whaling village or is this a different part no when he snuck into the
1: like the fishing market
0: no <laughs> he snuck into so many places <laughs> he snuck into so many places <laughs>
1: there were so many moments though where he was just like totally irresponsible and it's just like here is a guy just like shoving a camera in people's faces who probably get that all the time and he's suddenly like acting injured and like oh i'm the victim of a huge conspiracy against me it's like no you're just shit.
0: Yeah, no, it was when he was at the convention center. And he went to this one random guy and was like, is there slavery in Thailand fishing? And it's like, that's such an inflammatory question. Of course, the guy's gonna say no, that's not how you get an answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just
2: insulting. Because like, there is good journalism out there that will genuinely investigate forced labor in fishing, you know, you can There are NGOs doing this work and they're um, responsibly going about talking to these kinds of like people in those situations and people in the industry. And it, I don't know, it just, it left a really bad taste in my mouth, the way that he was approaching the subject matter. And like, I think it has something to do with the fact that he flitted from topic to topic to topic to topic throughout the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like a very frenetic film and you're just like... (laughs) Why?
2: <laughs> Which, like, on one hand, I get it, because, um, I mean, we, we talked about this in the seafood episodes, you know, like, there's just, I think we have an assumption about the way that fishing works, um, and it's a lot more idyllic than the reality, and so once you start to sort of, like, peel back the layers, there are a thousand different topics that, like, you would want to look into, and it's hard to know what to cover in a documentary like that, but on the other hand, like, could have made the documentary longer, could have, you know, left out the whaling stuff that wasn't really all that relevant (laughs) to what he was talking about, you know, the beach plastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like focused on overfishing. Because there were several areas that I was like, this would be really important. This would have been way better material than going to Taiji and just like pretending that you are the victim of this like huge conspiracy to block out journalists when it's really, they just, don't want their people being like shamed and exploited all the time you're like this could have been left out especially because later on in the movie they acknowledge that you know the dolphin cull in taiji is entirely inconsequential (laughs) and so it's like why did you put this in the movie then
2: yeah i think it's meant to to hook people in you know because um you start with like a narrative about plastic that people already kind of buy into. And you start with whaling, which is already something people don't like. And then maybe you get attention long enough for people to, you know, realize that they're going to be, well, this, this stat is also overblown, but <laughs> we're running out of fish in the ocean, like 85% of fisheries are overfished. You know, it's a real crisis that people just don't want to pay attention to. So I get why he was kind of going that way, but there was so much time devoted to it. You could have spent two minutes with that opening and then done an actual interrogation of fisheries issues and then crucially gotten to some public policy solutions at the end because like just telling people to go vegan, as much as that is something that I agree with um,
0: as an outcome... Uh, it's not going to solve overfishing, (laughs) you know, like. Not at the speed that we needed to be solved. Yeah, that was my biggest gripe with the whole thing.
2: And there's a treaty on like the high seas that's being negotiated right fucking now. Like if there was any time to be talking about public policy solutions to overfishing, it's this exact moment, you know? Anyway.
0: But we can roll it back and talk about that more at the end, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like the first like 20 or 30 minutes of the film are mostly just like him wandering around Southeast Asia, bothering people. (laughs) And then it gets into the part that I thought was kind of like, good, which was talking about like sustainability labeling and how it was fraudulent.
2: Yeah, but he's also not correct on that. Like, so Dolphin Safe is not, there's a lot of variety in terms of how robust that label is, but like... And no, no eco labels are perfect, but like there are genuinely eco labels that have good traceability standards and uh, they're not perfect. They are subject to some criticism, but it's not as though they don't do anything, you know, like, I mean, if you take seafood mislabeling as an example, 30% of seafood is mislabeled. But if you go to like marine stewardship Council um, certified fish, it's 1%, you know, like that's a huge difference.
0: It really, I really felt for the, the dolphin safe guy that he was interviewing. He, <laughs> he must've interviewed him for at least half an hour and he took like one 10 second clip and just showed it. And it's like, what what are you doing, man? That's not fair.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it does highlight something that's true. Like it is the case that like these things are not being audited as frequently as they should be. Um, that sustainability standards are limited. Like um, the Marine Stewardship Council, for example, it's generally considered the best eco label in seafood. and its only social requirement is that that organizations follow local, national and international laws. Um, so basically that means there's pretty much no standards, you know when it comes to social requirements. It's only if somebody's found to have been acting illegally um, for stuff like forced labor that they would be uncertified on social grounds. So, like, there are real places to criticize these issues, but, like, the picture that he gave of what these eco labels are was just, it wasn't accurate. And I don't think it did any favors for um, a real conversation about the, like, strengths and weaknesses of these kinds of regimes.
0: I mean, it's because he had an agenda, which was at the end of the film, just to be like, there's no other option but to go vegan, which... Honestly, probably is true, but because he had to frame it in a way that feels kind of gross, I it puts me off, you know?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're whale hunting by yourself, then that might be okay was the (laughs) thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like I had slightly less sympathy for those NGOs just because I don't know, I'm probably more prone to believe that it's kind of scummy and largely irrelevant um because that's kind of been some of my experience as well just like the more you learn about you know ethical animal agriculture the less likely that i am to believe that any kind of ethical standards are real and when you have someone on video who's just like yeah people bribe our auditors all the time and you're like really (laughs) that's it's acceptable to you and you still work here um Like, I know that he gave him an incredibly unfair and extremely edited interview, but it's still like those little moments like that that I think do a good job of undermining the people who blindly look at those check marks and say, oh, but it has a check mark.
2: Yeah, I just think a more effective way of going about that rather than like badgering one guy from like, let's face it not one of the best eco-labels. Like, like, no fucking wonder he couldn't get an interview with MSC after the way he treated the other groups. But, But, like, I think there are lots of real criticisms you can make. For example, one criticism that's levied against the Marine Stewardship Council, which is generally considered to be the best, is, like, it's a label that fisheries that are already doing pretty well tend to apply sort of post hoc, you know, like, There's no clear evidence that it actually changes behavior of fisheries. And so what it might be is kind of a trade barrier that um, benefits wealthy country fisheries at the expense of poor country fisheries. So that's a real criticism. And like, there's so much illegal, unreported and um, unregulated fishing that like, the lack of regulation, I think, prevents us from having real solutions, um, even if we have these private labels, and even if we thought they were really good. So there's like a real conversation you could have about like whether private regulation is fundamentally limited. But like just badgering a dude about like (laughs) dolphins. I don't know. I didn't find it that persuasive.
1: Not just badgering the one guy, but then just like going into several interviews and just like with people who are spokespeople who are not like actual power holders who are just like, I don't have an answer for you. And he's like, oh, look at them. They're terrible. You're like, do you not, do you just not understand how organizations
2: work? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it, it does give an incredibly like slanted version of these conversations. And I did not, I thought it was one of the most effective parts of the film, but not like the most effective way of doing it. Yeah.
0: I did really like the part where he followed the money and he was like, oh, these are the people who fund these organizations and this is where- Okay,
2: but that was dumb too, Kyla, because the Earth <laughs> Island Institute is just an environmental NGO. So yeah, no shit, they're going to fund two environmental initiatives. That's not a
0: fucking <laughs> conflict of interest. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Sorry, Kyla. No, no, that's true. That's That's fair. I don't mind. I can take it. But also, I don't know, like the MSC, he was saying gets 80% of their money from certifying. So it makes sense to just certify everybody yeah that is
2: true that's a genuine conflict of interest that <laughs> yeah it's a real criticism for sure
1: if I remember correctly that was also part of your episode on fishing was that like there was kind of this race to the bottom to certify the mcFish
2: yeah and I mean I think there is a real debate um so this is this is a real thing anytime you're trying to set up eco labels and it's been a real depending on which side of the argument you're on, World Wildlife Fund either looks like a fucking champion or a fucking sellout. Um, And There's really no middle ground. But World Wildlife Fund has made the calculus since the late 90s that they can make more change by partnering with big companies like Unilever to sort of mainstream environmental standards into industries. So they work with these companies to set up sustainability standards, and they like spin them out as these third party initiatives. They're not exactly what environmentalists would want, but they are better than nothing. So they get a lot of criticism for that, but also they've made change. And it's like, that's a genuine debate you can have. It's like, do you want to have that model? Or do you want to sort of like be pushing for stronger government regulation, um, including like a treaty that would cover I mean, we're talking about this in the seafood episode. Like, the ideal is you have an international governance system where governments pool resources and have a bunch of auditors that regulate around the world. That seems unlikely to happen soon. So the imperfect (laughs) calculation that WWF has made is, like, we'll try to work with Walmart and Unilever. But, like, you can criticize that. like.
0: You know. Yeah, that's the thing about this this whole documentary was that he left out all of the nuance. And again, I recognize that it was short, but he just went in with so much conviction on every topic that he didn't leave room for nuance. So, he just went in and was like everything is evil except for eating vegan and there's no argument to be had about any of it. And I was like, I I see what you're doing, <laughs> but and I agree, I agree with the point in principle, but the way you're doing it is Wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I kind of like was primed to go into this film with because of Twitter uh, was just looking at who he was interviewing and where they were from. Because one of the things that I found deeply limiting for how the film proceeds is that he spends, you know, 45 minutes talking about fishing issues in Southeast Asia and interviews exactly no one from Southeast <laughs> yes, Asia for yes. more than five seconds. Um, and I think that's a huge problem with the film, and especially in the way that it presents alternatives. And there's this very weird moment where, like, the Liberian section was, I think, probably the best part, like, the best documentary part of the film, because he actually spends time talking to Liberians and putting them on camera, talking about why fishing is important to their way of life, and um, even in just like the most brief sense and i was like that is a good part of the film because at the end it ends with this idea of like there's no such thing as sustainability and it's like yeah because you only talked to like western commercial fishing and a couple of ngos it's like if <laughs> yeah. you talked to some of the people living in these areas that are afflicted by overfishing you would be able to tease out some kind of definition of sustainability based on their experiences living on the land as part of those ecosystems but Just doesn't do that. Just goes in and exploits them for his narrative.
2: Yeah. Also, like, I don't understand how you do a documentary about fishing where he spent like maybe 10 seconds talking about what bottom trawling is. Like, I know that shit's boring, but like, they rake the ocean bottom. It's bad. (laughs) You know, there are some fishing methods that are genuinely a lot better than that. And a lot of the discussion around like, what is sustainable fishing is around the tools and methods of the industry, and it just to me. I mean, I'm not an expert. Um, I learned enough to be able to do an episode of the podcast, and that was about it. But um, but even so, like I understood the basics of the different methods, and that seems to be really important if you're trying to understand what it is to be like to have sustainable fishing. Now, it doesn't matter if your prior is really just to say that veganism is the best.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like uh, one thing that the film does do well, and that is, I mean, I'm glad that it's gone, I guess, viral. It does create a sense of urgency, which is that, like, yes, obviously policy is a way to go, and, and not everyone's going to go vegan overnight and the only people who are watching this are probably people who are already more or less aware of the issues. And I mean, maybe other people are watching it, and that would be great. But he does create that sense of urgency where it's like, we don't have time to mess around. I just wish he'd phrased it like that. I wish he'd been like, look, these are all of the options. These are all of the ways that we could save our oceans. But this is how long they would take. And that's why it's really important that everybody eats a, a more plant-based diet. But he didn't do that. He said, this is the only solution.
1: Yeah. And speaking, of, and like, yeah, it's, there's all of this urgency, but none of that also like comes in through how the film is made. Like, as we mentioned at the beginning, that we spend like 30 minutes just going through relatively marginal threats to the ocean ecosystem in Southeast Asia. And then the big stuff gets the remaining half of the film and one of the things that i kind of like i don't like about that is that people don't necessarily aren't going to remember that there's like one bar graph that shows taiji 1000 dead dolphins a year um fishing in the us you know 20,000 dead dolphins a year people remember how much time you spend talking about these issues in the film and so one of the ways that like a lot of people disengage from veganism is that they think oh well the problem is people eating things in other places like they think, oh, China and Japan are the reason why the oceans are being emptied, because that's what we spend the most time talking about is, you know, this stuff Mm -hmm. that's going on in Southeast Asia. And it's like, but it's really not. And it was another reason why I like the Liberian section so much is because he just starts to talk about imperialism and colonialism and how those are tied into these issues. And then it just kind of disappears and isn't used to critically analyze his own actions, which are entirely uh, replicating those narratives in how he treats Southeast Asia.
2: It's very white savior complex. Yeah.
1: Oh, super. And so for me, it's like, this is clearly a film designed for Western audiences. It should clearly be talking about the complicity of Western consumption habits in causing the overfishing crisis. And you, know, you get these tidbits of European Union subsidies. It never gets said, like, where are all of those Thai shrimp going? It's like all of those shrimp farmed through enslaved labor. What markets do they end up? And it's not Thailand. And so talking about these like imperial questions and focusing in and saying, Western consumers are a significant portion of the problem doesn't really appear in the film. Um, And especially because that feeds so well into the message that it's like Western consumption is so much of the cause of overfishing. um, And so Western consumers are uniquely positioned to be able to do something about that. Taking that anti-imperial narrative actually helps, but is clearly a blind spot for the film's creators.
2: Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. I wonder if we can talk a little bit about the gruesome footage, because I had sort of mixed feelings on it. Um, I think on one hand, the fact that it showed, like, shark finning and, like, even sometimes it would show, like, the fish dying on, on board, and I hated looking at it the whole time. But, like, I wonder what you guys think. Was it just, like, animal cruelty porn or is there, like, do you think that there's a value to showing that kind of footage?
0: I can jump in here. I, blech, yeah, I, I still eat fish occasionally. And after seeing all of that gruesome footage, I'm not going to anymore. So at least one person has changed their diet based on the gruesome footage alone. So I would say like for me, it was effective. Was it too much? Probably. Was it really horrific for my poor vegan boyfriend? Yes, definitely. (laughs) But did it serve a purpose? I think it did. I think it did. Considering his end goal is to get people to stop eating fish, to show the cruelty in such uh, like such a vivid way. I I think I think it does serve his purpose. I don't know. What do you What do you think, Robbie?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned it at the beginning of our discussion was that I got turned into a vegan because of imagery like that. So it's hard for me to really critique it as someone who was deeply affected by it and it changed the outcome of my diet and my activism. So yes, they are extremely effective. Do I like it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, though one of the things actually that I did think was good um, is that like I knew all of the stats about fish farming. This was one of the sort of like the most effective, what I thought was the most effective presentation of data in the film uh, was that I had never actually like seen conditions on a fish farm even as like a vegan who follows these issues, and so that was interesting for me to just be like, oh yeah, these are horrifying. Um, and then the poop visualization, like the Scott the Scottish poop dispersion, um, was I thought one of the most effective infographics in the in the film.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I also appreciated seeing. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, I sort of conceptually knew what fish farms were like because I've read about it. But um, and including like you know, the issues of like dropout salmon that are just depressed and hang there. Like, so like I was familiar um, from a conceptual point of view, but I'd never seen one. um, And I had never
0: seen what sea lice looked like before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So even though we spent what, like three hours on a previous episode talking about the horrors of the sea, I drastically cut down my consumption of fish. I maybe had since then, Christian, I've probably had like three cans of salmon, but like, <laughs> but now I'm just like, no, I'm not going to eat fish anymore. So I think that effectively makes me a vegetarian, but I'll check in with you for Veganuary next year and let you know how, how that's going.
1: <laughs> one thing um, from the Faroe Island scene, um, that one was particularly interesting from like that sort of like cruelty porn perspective, because like just seeing the shoreline completely inundated with blood was like deeply gross to me um but i had a hard time taking it seriously because he'd worn open shoes <laughs> and so i was just like sitting there thinking oh. like you went to a whale slaughter which you knew what it was going to look like and you didn't wear boots like you just wandered into the shore and you're just like wading in blood uh, with open shoes, I was like, "You fucking idiot!"
0: <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's so. <laughs>
1: so it, was, it was this very disjointed experience for me.
0: Yeah, the music that he played over that scene <laughs> was that was what took me out of it. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's sad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little overwrought.
2: The other thing too was like he was trying to make the point that well, I guess he was also trying to make the point that it's like still bad, but like. He was saying this is a sustainable way to hunt. And I was like, first of all, if your documentary is about how shitty overfishing is, why are you showing so much fucking footage of whaling on a small scale? Yep. <laughs> when you directly make the point that that's like not what's causing it. Because, like, honestly, between that scene and at the beginning with like Taiji, that's probably like three quarters of the footage of fish that we got throughout that film.
0: Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I didn't appreciate the, the level of like care and attention that he put on that scene with all of the music. And then he interviews one of the whalers versus the Taiji or any of the Asian footage that he uses where he That's doesn't true. That's so racist. I didn't yeah. even pick up on that. Wow.
1: Yeah, I was gonna talk about that in terms of like, yeah, again, he never interviews fishermen except that one guy in the Faroe Islands. And it's such a huge problem when you're like, there's no definition of sustainability. All sustainability is marketing bullshit. Opens up the film to this very obvious critique of being anti-indigenous because, like, they even tease it. They're like, oh, these Liberian farmer or like Liberian fishermen and Somali fishermen were good, sustainable fishers who were feeding people, uh, and then you know their countries lost control of the seas and was pillaged. And this was bad and it's like okay so we should talk to some of those fishermen about like getting actual narratives of sustainability because this is often a blind spot that i find in vegan discourse is that it comes out of this like western environmental uh lineage where we view human beings as like alien from the ecosystems that we live in that there is no possible way for human beings to be integrated into an ecosystem to be one of those like apex species that manages ecosystem diversity and richness and actually contributes to ecosystem diversity and richness. And if we talk to indigenous people, if we talk to people living um by the seas who have been there since time immemorial, as they point out, they have been in the film and then never talk about again, maybe those people would have definitions of sustainability that might actually be compatible with like a real definition of sustainability uh this is one of the the interventions that you start to get when you have like anti-colonial discourse around veganism and talking to vegans who aren't just white um and like actually talking to people who live in the world and are affected by these issues
0: oh Kristen, maybe we should have invited somebody (laughs) (laughs) who (laughs) <laughs> we're we're following it. We're falling into that trap ourselves, <laughs> you know. But with an anti-oppression lens. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's going to be probably my sign out at the end of the episode. Is just some cool POC vegans you can follow instead of conspiracy.
2: Yeah, the the whole time I was talking, I was um watching, like in the beginning of the film when they're talking about whaling in um, Japan, I just kept thinking about like. The debates around seal clubbing in Canada and like how environmental organizations like had their head up their ass for a really long time about that and eventually came around.
1: In an entirely unsurprising turn of events, um, one of the first things that they did after airing Seaspiracy was to jump on board with an anti-sealing campaign.
2: Great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just like, for fuck's sake. Come sick. on. <laughs> And people were theorizing, like, why did they do this? And it's like, uh, because it's a very common white savior vegan issue and it draws in a lot of money. Like, as much as they critique other NGOs for doing things to perpetuate their own activities and exploiting the issues rather than trying to solve them, jumping in on anti-sealing campaigns is that very thing in a nutshell.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely true.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) white savior is going to white savior... I think that's probably one of the most salient criticisms of the film.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like a
1: broad stroke is that it's just like it is once again platforming a very like specific Western vision of environmental protection and not talking to the people who are affected by it.
2: Yeah, I'm also trying to look at who the guy was because, like, he seemed to not have good journalist training, um, (laughs) but... (laughs) He did another documentary called Cowspiracy, which I assume... Oh, same fucking guy. Yeah, okay. I didn't see that one, but...
0: (laughs) No, I didn't see it either, but based on this, I would assume it's the same or worse because it was an earlier work. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Just, like, I
2: mean, I wish I knew more about the situation, about those... um, those former like um, forced laborers, because I'm very concerned about their safety based on the way it was portrayed in the film. You know, mm-hmm. if it's true that he actually had to flee from a facility that like authorities were going to come for him, first of all, like why and what was the context? But secondly, like what happened to those two dudes? Yeah. Anyway,
1: I just I assume because it seems like a thing that would happen that there are probably organizations in Thailand that are trying to help these people um, that are yes. that care deeply about this issue. And maybe instead of spending all of our time interviewing Western scientists, maybe we should have interviewed some of those people.
2: Yeah, and like good documentaries on these kinds of issues do that. I've seen a bunch on like, um, I mean, usually it's... Uh, land agriculture issues but like journalists will go in and they talk to the organizations and it is always dangerous but like a good journalist thinks in advance about how to protect their subject um and like thinks in advance about exit strategies and doesn't put their fucking taxi driver in the kind of situation that guy put him in like ugh.
1: Yeah like it's very weird when you frame these people as like oh they were exploited for their labor and now I'm going to exploit them for a soundbite for my film and I'm like this is really gross
2: yeah, and also, why was he filming the face of that taxi driver? Like, yeah. even when you blur it out, like, yeah. like, that guy's still at risk. Like, you can figure out exactly where that um, video was taken f- just from, like, like people are really good at tracking that kind of stuff just based on, like, small cues from the
0: background, you know? So. Yep. Uh.
1: Super sketchy.
0: Did, uh, did you want to go through any more of your notes, Robbie?
1: Um, I think that was most of it. Um, I do want to stand the Sea Shepherds just because they were in the film and I absolutely love them to death.
2: Do they work with the Liberian government now? Like that was new to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was new to me. I didn't realize that was part of their operations, but it is cool as fuck. It is, yeah.
0: <laughs> they were the coolest part of the film, other than the infographics, which I also appreciated a lot. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I would say Sea Shepherd, the coolest part, and the infographics second, in, personally. But.
0: Yeah, I would put them in that order, too. I didn't mean to imply otherwise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like anything that the Sea Shepherds are in, because I think that the work they do in terms of direct action is like very good and cool. They're one of the organizations that I think is really leading on so many of these issues and demonstrating, again... An alternative that is not discussed is just that it's like there is the possibility and capacity for direct action and collaboration with these, like especially as the sea shepherds start to collaborate with the local governments of countries that are affected by over and illegal fishing. Like That demonstrates a way that Western countries can actually start to do things to rein in these problems that we can actually like have some kind of direct influence on these issues rather than waiting for policy to come in or just hoping that our consumer choices change the world is to say that it's like donate to the sea shepherds give them money so they can buy more boats and have more impact cuz they're doing great work
2: well that's the other thing though like i don't know how many boats sea shepherd has but it's surely a lot less than like any major government has so um, other I mean I I don't know about like West African governments apparently it's very hard for them to actually like um, patrol their territorial waters legitimate but like these are like the kinds of operations that governments could be doing right now in partnership with um like the Liberian government or other governments in Western Africa or other places where there's a lot of like fish poaching or whatever the term is going on
1: yeah like imagine the U.S. Navy
2: yeah like why aren't they doing this shit yeah <laughs> uh,
1: Like, instead of having all of those boats, you know, drone-striking children in Yemen, um, what if they were preventing illegal overfishing? Like, wouldn't that be Yeah, what if
2: we had drones looking for illegal fishing operations? Like, I mean, you maybe don't need a predator drone for that, but like...
1: Right? It's like, we have the capacity to solve these issues. Like, that's one of the weird things, too, is that so much of this is, we actually do have the ability to make all of these go away. It's just... There's no desire to do it on the part of governments.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which, yeah, that's, well, well, that brings us to the end of the movie. And I can go back to what I was saying at the beginning, which is that what my, the thing I hated the most about this was that the only solution he offered was for viewers to go vegan. And that's just not, it's this, it's just, it's putting the issue on the consumer. And we know as from our podcast that, and from anyone who listens regularly, that that can only take you so far. And it, it's a great thing that you can do personally, but it's not going to change the world at the speed that we need it to.
2: Yeah, and actually, um, last week, tonight, a few weeks ago, made a very similar point with regard to plastics pollution, right? That there was a concerted campaign by the plastics in- industry um, and, like, the beverage industry to make plas- disposable plastic the consumer's problem, um, and we needed to fight back against that. And, like, you can apply that exact same logic to this documentary, And it's not to say that personal responsibility isn't important. Um, I say this as someone like, I came in really wanting to like this documentary because I stopped eating fish as a result of researching seafood sustainability labels and realizing that overfishing was so bad that they couldn't possibly fix the problem. So like, I agree with the exact point this guy was making, but uh, (laughs) like, you have to go further because not everybody's going to be able to or willing to do that, you know?
0: Well, and now it's it because it was so, it was so, it was such left-wing propaganda that anybody who might have changed their minds on it are going to be put off. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't even say left-wing because there was nothing about the government in there.
1: Not only was there <laughs> nothing about the government, there was nothing about popular action. Like it's a very bourgeois reactionary kind of like take on consumer power.
0: It's It's something that the, it's something that the right is going to latch on to and be like, this is how liberals think. And it's like, no, no, he's an idiot.
2: (laughs) I mean, I think there was, we haven't talked about this yet, but I think there was some value in the documentary in that I do think it's true that environmental NGOs, they pull their punches when it comes to animal agriculture, And, like, I don't know that he really made this point as effectively as he could have, but I think he was trying to get at that issue, you know? Like, why are we focusing on straws when the real issue is fishing? And, like, that's a false dichotomy. We should focus on both. (laughs) But but it is true. Like, climate activists – I mean, a lot of actual climate activists will say that they should go vegan in their lives, but if you look at the talking points of, like, major campaigning organizations – None of them have uh, veganism as an important aspect of what they're doing. And the same is true with like um, fish sustainability, right? Like this, it's just not a thing that people that, – it's not a thing that makes it into the public discourse because people know it'll be unpopular. And so as a result, we don't even have the fight.
1: Yeah, and it sucks.
2: We are coming for your burgers, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I applaud his his energy, and he obviously cares a lot about this, or he wouldn't, like, this was obviously a monumental effort, you know? It's not like it, it was He nothing. had Netflix money, Kyla. Don't be nice yeah. to him. Did he? I thought he did it on his own and then shopped it around, I thought, but I don't know. He eventually got Netflix money, Kyla. Don't be nice to him. Okay, 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 okay. okay.
1: <laughs> and, like, one of the alternatives also that it doesn't sort of spread out uh, and this was some really good reporting, I think from the grist about sort of recycled plastic and how it's a technology that's existed since the 1970s, but has never been economical because virgin plastic is just so cheap. And so one of the, the really easy ways that we could start to rectify that would just be putting taxes on new plastic. Um, but there are so many policy alternatives That are possible, that are things that we could be fighting for, that are achievable within current frameworks. That would, you know, if we put a four cent tax on plastic, then recycled plastic would be economically viable. And, or maybe not four cents, but like X number of of dollars on new plastic per ton. And then, you know, you suddenly start to see a change in how plastic is disposed of. And it's that simple. So, there are so many possibilities for alternatives. And much as like, as a vegan, I support everyone going vegan. It's like, portraying it as the only option is also just false.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and just irresponsible, because it makes people feel powerless. Yeah. And I actually
2: I read a, a really interesting policy proposal today that I think would have been the one it's the one I think he should have ended with. And the proposal is essentially to ban all fishing on the high seas. So fishing could only legally occur in the, like, the territorial waters and exclusive economic zones of uh, countries. And the idea is, like, by giving space in the high seas, first of all, like, you deal with the free-for-all. But secondly, you give fish species, like, enough space to gain back um, what they're losing from fishing, like, just off of
0: coastal spaces. It would also force local governments to invest in more sustainable practices, because if they're overfishing their own waters and they run out of fish, oop, we, we got nowhere else to go, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. And like, by making it clear that you can't fish in the high seas, it would, I mean, you'd still have to deal with the enforcement problem. Um, and so there has to be that political will too. But you'd at least deal with the ambiguity that has created that sort of like tragedy of the commons, as people want to call it, with um, the high seas, right? You can't just have people plundering the high seas wantonly like they do now.
0: So how can people support
2: that? Um, Yeah, so there is a treaty at the UN on the high seas being negotiated right now, right this very minute. So you can write (laughs) your government representative and tell them that you want to see uh, a ban on all fishing in the high seas and failing that at least a very strong uh, treaty on the high seas that has good provisions to prevent overfishing. And also tell your governments that you want them to raise the, like to lower the quotas in their fisheries to be actually sustainable and not just what they think fisheries can get anyway.
0: Yes, yes. Those are some real solutions. I love it. Robbie, did you want to plug anything?
2: I'll mention them again.
1: I stand the sea shepherds. <laughs> if want to like, actually do something meaningful to stop overfishing and illegal fishing, recognizing that like one of the issues is enforcement. And one of the cool ways that enforcement is being innovated and done by a vigilante group is the sea shepherds. Um, I've, I haven't done like any research on whether or not they are effective, but my feelings on direct action are that if you care about illegal fishing and overfishing, direct action gets the goods. The sea shepherds are doing direct action Therefore, give them your money. <laughs> if you would like to follow some like POC voices in vegan spaces, I am um, a big fan of Tyra thesaurus on Twitter. Um, she is absolutely wonderful and doing some great stuff. Um, there's a Canadian by the name of Rose who runs Cheap and Lazy Vegan, uh, who does some amazing work. And then on she's mostly on YouTube. Then on Instagram, there's Vegan Mob out of San Francisco and I think LA. They're a food truck uh, bringing like vegan food to food deserts in a pretty awesome and cool way. And they do some amazing work as well.
0: That's awesome. We'll link to all of those in the show notes as well.
1: There are uh, like white people tend to become the faces of vegan movement. And I think that's a fucking tragedy. Um, There are lots of very cool POC vegans doing cool stuff and they should get your attention more than whatever this weird documentary was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and if you want to hear more about the link between veganism and white supremacy, we have an episode for you for that. <laughs> go to our Veganuary episode.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about fishing, you can go to our fishing episode, which does cover everything that the Seaspiracy documentary does, but better. So uh, was there value in this In this documentary, yeah, I think there was, because it opened a dialogue for a lot of the issues that, you know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, it's made overfishing sexy. In the- I think it's this generation's super size me.
2: <laughs> That's going to be my hot take.
1: I don't think it's going to be nearly <laughs> that important.
2: <laughs> was super size me important? I don't
1: know. I mean, I it changed how McDonald's does their menus.
2: Okay, what if it's, what if it is... This generation's whatever Michael Moore's uh, George W. Bush documentary was.
1: Oh yeah, there we go. That's a good one, I don't even remember what that one was.
2: <laughs> me neither. It wasn't Bowling for Columbine. That was his important movie. It's you yeah. know the other one. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, the other Michael Moore movie.
0: <laughs> I would say for for as much as I obviously had problems with this documentary, it did finally push me personally over the edge. Fahrenheit nine eleven. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to make a beautiful point, Kristen, which is that so there is value in seeing this if you go into it with all of the like notes that we have, because it it is the thing that has now pushed me over the edge on, on not eating fish anymore. And I knew it was bad to begin with, but like the visuals um, really helped me with that. So that's my hot take. Uh, But do Kristen and Robbie's things instead of mine. (laughs) And (laughs) I think that's our episode. What do you think, guys? Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for joining us, Robbie. This was kind of a... We decided on this pretty last minute and you were a very good sport about it. Yes, thank you very much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're very welcome. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad that I actually watched it because I've been following a lot of Twitter discourse about Seaspiracy and... uh, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, God, I'm going to have to watch this movie just so I can understand what's going on. And and yeah, for me, it is going to go into the bin of vegan shockumentaries that I don't consider to have very much like educational or informative value, um, but do have that sort of like visceral, violent reaction that might turn people like me vegan. So it just gets added into that heap of similar movies um, which is why I don't think it was particularly groundbreaking or interesting.
2: Yeah, I've realized, though, that like, so you guys are both I- impacted by the shock value. I think I interact with the world a different way, because for me, it was a stat that changed my mind, <laughs> I think I'm very rare. Yeah, I mean,
1: well, this, is, this is a diversity of tactics in action.
2: Yeah, right? exactly.
1: Some people respond to different things. I wish this movie was done better for so many reasons um, that we've elaborated, but some people are going to see it and just be like, wow, that was fucking gross. I'm never eating a fish again. And so mission accomplished.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: What stat was it, Kristen, that that put you off?
2: It was the fact that 85% of fisheries around the world are overfished.
0: Mm, Okay. that's In
2: combination with a bunch of other stuff about how like... Eco labels don't really change behavior.
0: What, sea lice didn't,
2: uh... <laughs> I mean, I was already on board with don't eat fish by the time I learned that sea lice were a
0: thing. That's yeah. fair, that's fair.
1: Yeah, that was a visual I will remember for a while.
0: <laughs> okay, well, on that note, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this uh, breakdown of that uh I hazard to say Terrible documentary. I don't know. I don't know if it was Terrible. It was fine. It was a distinctly
1: mediocre documentary. Okay,
0: there you go. Yeah, I was like, Terrible feels strong because now I'm not eating fish anymore. So it did accomplish its mission. So uh, very successful documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And we will catch you on the next episode.